The Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. I'll go ahead and re- I'm going to go ahead and read verse 3 and 4. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this glorious time that we've been able to spend in worship this morning. Father, we just want to say, as the psalmist said, we just want to praise the Lord. Father, we want to be filled with joy because of all that you have done for us. Father, all that you are doing for us and all that you will continue to do for us. We want to praise your name. Father, you are worthy of our praise and you alone are the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And Father, we rejoice in the great salvation that you have wrought in our hearts. We thank you for this place that you have given us to come to, that you have drawn us to by your grace and that you have called us out by your spirit that we can gather together to worship you in song. And we thank you for these hymns that have been written throughout the years that have such great truth, Father, that we can sing about. We thank you for filling our hearts this morning and awakening our spirits. And Father, we pray that as we look at the word this morning, that it also might speak to our hearts, that it it might awaken our, our souls, that it might inflame our wills. Father, I pray that you would speak through me, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would anoint me to preach your word. I pray that you would give me preaching grace. I pray that you would give us listening grace, Father, that we might remove all the cares and distractions and thoughts of the world that might try to prevent us from hearing and meditating upon and rejoicing in this word this morning. Father, you are here to speak to the hearts of your people. And Father, we just pray that you would indeed speak through your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to title this message this morning and just spend a little bit of time on thinking about why the temple was destroyed. Why the temple was destroyed. Here in Mark's gospel and Mark chapter 13, we have the... Disciples and Jesus are leaving the temple, and as they're leaving the temple, the disciples are pointing out to Jesus uh, how wonderful the temple looks, the, the, the majesty of the, of the architecture and of the, of the building of it. And so they say to Jesus, what manner of stones and what buildings are here? And then Jesus makes this prediction to them tells them that, he says, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another 
that shall not be thrown down. Jesus predicted that this temple would be destroyed. And what Jesus predicted came about. What Jesus predicted happened. And everything that we we read in in this, this account happens exactly as Jesus said it would. And this is one of the great proofs of Jesus' deity, that he was able with such precision and such clarity predict every single thing that was about to happen and that would happen in the next 40 years. And he, and he does this to encourage the disciples, his followers, and, and instruct them on things that were about to happen so that they would take heart, so that they wouldn't be discouraged, so that they would know the purpose of why this was happening. And so they come to him out afterwards and they you know, say, Teacher, Master, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled. And then everything we read in the rest of the chapter answers those two questions. When will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming? But what's really not dealt with here in this chapter, which I want to speak on this morning before we get into the rest of this chapter and think about the when these things happen and what the sign will be, I want to think about the why. And this was something that I don't think that they were thinking about at the time. They were just astounded about what Jesus said. It, 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 it confounded them. They didn't quite understand what Jesus was saying. And it was such a shock to them. They, they were processing it and they wanted to know, when is this going to happen and, and what will be the signs of this happening? But really, I think the more important question for us to consider and it's a good basis for us understanding the rest of the chapter here is, why was this happening? Why did this happen? And why was the temple destroyed? And I think it's important for us to understand that in our context today. Why, why did, what was the purpose of God destroying the temple, and how does that apply to you and I today? And so, I just want to list out seven reasons why the temple was destroyed for us to consider this morning. And that we might praise God for His wisdom, praise God for His, His, um, His will being done, and praise God for His plan that He carried out and how He brought us in. He brought us in as Gentiles into the kingdom, and He brought us into this thing that he has called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has made us a part of the spiritual kingdom of God. So why was the temple destroyed? Well, number one, and this is a pretty obvious answer, is because it was God's will, <laughs> right? Anything that we could ask, why is something done? Why, why did Jesus Christ have to come into the world why did Jesus Christ have to suffer and die? Why did Jesus Christ have to be crucified on the cross? Because it was God's will. Because it was the will of the Father. Right? Why, do, why does sin have to be in the world? Why do people have to suffer? Why do we have to go through, through pain and suffering and sickness and tribulation? Because it's the Lord's will. Amen? 
And so I know it's, a, it's an obvious answer starting out, but the reason why the temple would be destroyed in 70 AD is because it was God's will that it be destroyed. He had a purpose for it. And we see His purpose carried out throughout history. But this is always important for us to remember, no matter what question we're asking of, of what is the purpose of this or why is this happening, is to remember that it goes back to this is the will of God. So if you're just questioning on why things are happening in your life, it is because it is the will of God. And we have to submit to God's will and follow it, follow it in our life. Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar expressed this. He had been brought to see this in his humiliation. It says in Daniel four thirty-four and At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised in honor to Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And here's the phrase that that he came to understand and he came to see, why did Nebuchadnezzar have to go through what he went through? Why did he have to be humbled and made like a beast of the field? Why did he have to go through that? He understood this now. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. God does his will. His will is done, and that is the basis of why everything happens, is because it is being carried out because this is the decree, the eternal decree of God. His will is being carried out. He does His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and then He makes the statement, no one can restrain His hand. Or say to Him, What have you done? Or why are you doing this? Right? So he says he does his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Among the inhabitants of the earth. But not only that, he says we can't question why he does his will among the inhabitants of the earth. And not only that, no one can prevent God from carrying out his purposes. And so I'm sure that there were many who didn't want the temple to be destroyed. They loved the temple. It was, the temple was, was uh, a sacred place to them. It was a place that was, was honored and revered and had such special importance to the people of Israel. They had done everything in their power. In fact, they did everything in their power to keep it from being destroyed. If you read of the accounts in 70 AD when the Romans invaded Jerusalem, they would not give up. They would not surrender. They did not want the temple to be destroyed. They, they gave all of their lives. They gave up their, everything that they had in order for this not to be destroyed. But they could not prevent this from happening because it was God's will. His will is done. No one can restrain his hand or no one can say unto him, Why are you doing this? Psalm 115 verse 3 says, but our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. God does whatever he pleases. 
it's never as if God wants to do something, but he can't do it. There's nothing where, where God is saying that I wish, I wish this would have happened differently. Right? That never happens with God. It happens with us. Right? We have a plan. We have a thought. We have an idea. And then we might carry it out. Or we might not carry it out. Or we might wish later on, I wish that I had done things differently. We have regrets. But God has no regrets. Right? God never makes mistakes. Whatever He wills to do, that which, that's what's done. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. And we've seen this throughout history, that all of history is unfolding because of the purpose and plan of God. And we think, why, why was the temple destroyed? Well, it was God's will for it to be, and He's doing as He pleases. And then we have Isaiah saying in Isaiah chapter 43... Starting in verse 10, You are my witness, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. And then he says this, I have declared and saved. I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Indeed, before the day was, I am He, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? There's no one. There's no one that can reverse the plan of God. This was God's plan before the foundation of the world. Just as as election And those being chosen in in grace before the foundation, just as much as that was His sovereign plan, and no one can reverse that. No one can change that. No one can change the number of God's elect. And just as sure, no one could could keep this from happening because it was God's plan and God's will. And He had a purpose in it that we see worked out in the first century and throughout the rest of history since that time. And so we think about this and we think, well, this happened because this was the purpose and plan of God. And even when we think about something like the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's hard for us to accept sometimes why did this have to, have to happen? Why did he have to suffer? Why did he have to go through these things? Of course, we know doctrinally why this had to happen. Our sins had to be paid for. Blood had to be shed Pure and innocent and holy blood had to be shed on our behalf. But ultimately, this had to happen because it was the will of God. Right? It was the plan of God and God had decreed it to happen before all eternity. And the disciples understood this. They understood that all things happened according to the purpose and plan of God. So you have Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. And he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and why he had to suffer and, and that he was crucified. And, and ultimately, he says that this was according to the purpose and plan of God the Father. He says in Acts 2, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, 
as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So even considering the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, why did this happen? Well, it happened because the Jews hated him, right? It happened because the Romans gave in to the, the, to the request of the Sanhedrin that Jesus Christ was guilty of blasphemy, and they, they gave in to the pressure, and they said, what do you want us to do to him? And they said, crucify him, crucify him. And they did, as Paul says, they, they by wicked hands, they took him and they beat him and they scourged him and they mocked him and they spit upon him and they, and they crucified him. All these things they did and they were guilty and they were responsible for that. But Peter says that he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was purposed by God the Father to come about. And just as much as that was, also the destruction of the temple and God's purpose in that was brought about because this was His will for this to happen. So why was the temple destroyed? Number one, because it was God's will and none can stay His hand or say unto Him, what are you doing? Number two, not only did it happen because it was God's will, but number two, because it was prophesied that it would happen. Right? It, this was prophesied many, many, many years before it would actually happen, and then it would be prophesied by the Lord Jesus Christ that it would happen. And therefore, it had to come to pass because it was the word of the Lord that it was declared to come about. So we read of it in several places in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 9 is one of those passages. Daniel chapter 9. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. This is prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of, of the Prince who has come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate until, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. This was prophesied that this was going to happen. And therefore, it came to pass. Micah, in chapter 3, starting in verse 8, But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin, 
Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. You know, that's what they thought. That's what the religious leaders thought in their day and time about the temple. No, nothing can happen to this place. This is, this is the Lord's house. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. The day was coming. They, had, they actually experienced this before, right? You have the destruction of Solomon's temple. And then 500 years later, after the second temple was erected, you would also have the destruction of the temple once again because it was the word of the Lord. And then we have here the words of the Lord Jesus Christ who says, you see, all, you see this great temple? You see all these wonderful buildings? You see all this, this architecture and, and the, the, the massive buildings in front of you? He says, I tell you this, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus says, this will be destroyed because it is, it, I am saying that it will come to pass. And you can read about this in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Jesus prophesied that this would come to pass. And it did come to pass because every word that Jesus Christ speaks is true and comes to pass. And we can trust him. In, in what he says, because everything that he said came to pass. Turn over with me, though, to Matthew chapter 23. Because Jesus says something here that I think is important for us to remember when thinking about this. Right before Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple, he says these words. Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus told them, your house, it's no longer my house, your house is left to you desolate. So it was destroyed because it was determined, it was prophesied that it would be. Number three, the temple was destroyed because its purpose had come to an end. Hallelujah. The purpose of the temple, and here we get into the, the greater why of why the temple is destroyed, is because 
its purpose had been fulfilled. Right? There was a, a design and purpose that God had first given at Mount Sinai in the formation of what we understand as the tabernacle. Right? And God gave specific instructions to Moses for the building of this tabernacle. And he said it would be the place where his glory would come down and he would dwell in their midst. It was a place where sacrifices were to be made on the behalf of sin. It was a place where worship was to happen. It was, it was a place where praise was, was to happen. It was a place where service was to be going on. And so we had the tabernacle uh, in, the, in, the, in the traveling of, of the children of Israel throughout the wilderness until they come to Canaan, the promised land. And then you have a time, a time period where you, where you have the tabernacle of David, which was a tent that he had made to house the ark of God. And then David was stirred up and said that he wanted to build a house, a permanent place for the Lord. And this became um, the temple, and God said that he would use David's son Solomon to build the temple. And so the first temple would be erected in about 1000 B.C. And it was a grand and glorious temple. And they carried over the things that were there in the tabernacle, right? The sacrifices, the service, the worship, the holy of holies, where one day every year, the day of atonement, the high priest would go into the holy, holiest of holies and he would sprinkle blood upon the altar and upon the mercy seat and God would come down and he would forgive the sins of the people every year. And this would go on and on and on for thousands of years. Animals being sacrificed, worship going on, praises going on, the presence of God dwelling in their midst in a visible and powerful way. And then we know that that temple was destroyed and they were carried away into captivity. And then they came out of captivity seven years later and they rebuilt the temple once again and it was there. And then in the time of Christ, Herod began to make... vast improvements upon this temple and then we have the time of Christ and the time that the disciples are in and the time that they're talking about now where Herod's, what's called Herod's temple had become a beautiful temple and a, and a, and a massive temple. But the Lord Jesus Christ had come. The Messiah had come. The one that the tabernacle and the temple were, was all pointing to. These were types and shadows until the one would come that would make an end of the sacrifices. That would, have to, that would, that would be the atonement, right? He would, he would atone for the sins of God, God's people and so there would no longer be the need for the sacrifices. There would no longer be the need for this priest to go in and atone for the sins of the people because Jesus Christ would become the Lamb of God. He was the Lamb of God which would take away the sins of the world. And we see a, we see a, a remarkable thing happening after Jesus was crucified that when He said that it is finished, 
the redemption, the salvation of my people is accomplished, it says that the veil in the temple was torn. Right? It was torn. Symbolizing no longer any need for the priest to go in and make atonement for the people because Jesus Christ had atoned for the sins of God's people. And no longer would there be a separation between the holy God and the sinful people because Jesus Christ had broken down the wall of partition that was between us and now we have access to God through Jesus Christ. And so the purpose of the temple had come to an end. And therefore, it was destined to be destroyed and replaced by this temple. Number four, is because the worship of God in the temple had become corrupted. Right? That was also a reason. Not, not only was it God's will and was it prophesied that it would come to pass and because its purpose had come to an end, but there is an accountability on the part of, of the priest and the high priest and the religious leaders and the Levitical priesthood. They had accountability that they had corrupted the worship of God in the temple. They had left uh, from what had been required of them in many of the things that they were doing and therefore... Uh, this, we know, anger is a, a holy and righteous God. And this is the same thing that had happened to Israel in the Old Testament. And the reason that they were, the temple was destroyed at that time and they were carried, carried away into captivity is because they had corrupted the worship of God and the temple had become um, corrupted in its, in its practices. Isaiah chapter 64 in verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are the potter, and all we are the work of your hand. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we all are your people. But look what he says, Your holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful temple, where our fathers praised you, is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? God did this because they had corrupted the worship of God. They were worshiping false gods. They were just going through the motions, and they were just giving lip service to God, but their heart was far from him. Jeremiah says in Lamentations chapter 2, and this, this not only spoke of Israel during the time of the first destruction, the temp, when the first temple was destroyed, but this also speaks of Israel at the time of Christ and the temple at the time of Christ. Lamentations chapter 2, verse 6. He has done violence to his tabernacle. As if it were a garden. He has destroyed his place of assembly. The Lord has caused the appointed feast and Sabbath to be forgotten in Zion. 
In his burning indignation, he has spurned the king and the priest. The Lord has spurned his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. He has given up the walls of her palaces into the hand of the enemy. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord as on the day of a set feast. The Lord has purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched out a line. He has not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore, he has caused the rampart and wall to lament. They languish together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are are among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground and keep silence. They throw dust on their heads and gird themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem bow their heads to the ground. My eyes fell with tears. My heart is troubled. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the infants faint in the streets of the city. All this came to pass because they had turned from serving the Lord holy as he had instructed them to. The the sacrifices had become corrupted and their heart was far from God. And Jesus had already spoke to the religious leaders in the parable about the vineyard, the vine dressers, right? And he says, you, you have not been faithful tenants of God's vineyard that he planted, right? You have not protected it. You have not kept it up. You have not followed his instructions. And he says, therefore, the owner of the vineyard will come. And what do you think he will do? He will destroy you and he will give it to another. And so the temple would be destroyed, not only because it was God's will and it was determined to do so and its purpose had come to an end, but also because it had become corrupted. And therefore, this was part of the judgment of God upon them. And Jesus would speak on that on several occasions. So it's a balance between the sovereignty of God. This was his purpose. This was his decree. This was his will. But also the responsibility of man. They had turned from the Lord. They had, well, they were not following him with all their heart. They had corrupted his house. Remember when Jesus came into the temple that last week? He says, you have corrupted this house. You have made it into a house of merchandise and of profit and of gain for yourselves. This house is a holy house. It's supposed to be a house of prayer dedicated to the worship of God. And you have corrupted it. And therefore, judgment will come upon you. And you have to give an account to the Lord of how you have profaned His temple. Fifthly, the temple would be destroyed As we have already said, not only did its purpose come to an end, but greater than that, Jesus Christ fulfilled everything that the temple was made for. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of everything that the tabernacle and the temples were designed for. The high priest, the priesthood, the priestly service, the sanctuary, the sacrifices. Jesus Christ fulfilled all of those by His perfect life 
and by his substitutionary death on the cross and by his resurrection and ascension to the Father, he fulfilled all of those things and there was no longer a need for them. And you know what? The people would continue to cling to these things even after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And so God had to bring destruction upon this place so that they would no longer cling to it. Instead, trust only in Jesus Christ, the true temple of God. And it's basically what the book of Hebrews is about, right? Just talking about how Jesus fulfilled all these things in the tabernacle and in the temple. And um, I just want to turn to a few of these because these are, these are such beautiful truths. Understanding why the temple was destroyed because Jesus fulfilled everything that the temple was made for. Hebrews chapter 4, we love this. Verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest... We don't need any more priests. We don't need the high priest anymore. They didn't need it anymore because Jesus was the great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. See, someone finally came that was without sin and not, not just made sacrifice, animal sacrifices for the sins of the people, but he made a sacrifice of himself for the people of God. And it was accepted forever for all the people of God. It covered all those who had came before. It covered all those that were living at that time. And it covered all those who would ever live that were the people of God. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You no longer had to go to the temple to offer up sacrifices. You no longer had to go to the temple to offer up prayers because now you go to Jesus Christ, the great high priest. And it says you can come boldly to the throne of grace and you'll obtain mercy and help in your time of need. He became the great high priest. He fulfilled the priesthood and everything that it was designed for. Chapter 7, verse 22. By so much more Jesus has become surety of a better covenant. Also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for the people's For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus Christ fulfilled all the requirements of the priesthood. The sanctuary, the place that was designed for the worship and praise of God. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 11 says, But Christ came, a high priest of good things to come, 
with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Jesus Christ has become the perfect tabernacle, the sanctuary. And then the last one I'll read in Hebrews is in the next chapter. No more need for the animal sacrifices. Starting in verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Jesus Christ fulfilled the purpose and everything that the temple was made for. You no longer need it because Jesus Christ became it for you and for me and he fulfilled it for you and for me. Number six, why the temple was destroyed is because the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ was now to be the place where his glory would dwell. Temple temple was no longer needed because Jesus Christ established his church. And he said, I am going to be in the midst of you. I am going to fill you with my spirit. You have access to me. And now this place where you gather, this place where you assemble, this place where I call you to, now this is the sanctuary. This is the house of God. This is the temple of God. And this is the place where my glory now will dwell among my people. No longer had to go to the temple. No longer had to wait for the Shekinah glory of, of God to come down because now the glory of Christ dwells in His church, in His people. And this is why this place is so precious to us. This has become as precious to us as the temple was to Israel. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says this, this prayer that he prayed for them, he ends it by saying this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Christ receives glory in his bride. He receives glory in the church. When we gather together 
and we offer up praises, He's receiving glory. When we gather together and we're praying to Him, He's receiving glory. When the Word of God is being preached and His name is being exalted, He is receiving glory. When we're fellowshipping one to another and talking about all that He has done for us, He's receiving glory. To Jesus Christ be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. And this is still happening in our day and time today. This is where the glory of God is most wonderfully seen in the lives of the people of God. And lastly, the temple was destroyed because now God, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, He has made each one of His children the temple of His Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? You no longer needed it because now you have been made the temple of the Most High God, the place where His Spirit dwells, the place where He communes with you. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, through God the Holy Spirit, dwells in your heart. You have become the temple. This is a place where prayer and praise and and devotion happens. In here, you are now the temple of God. 1 Corinthians, Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, says this is one of the main reasons why we should fight against sin in our life. We should fight against impurity. Because we now understand and realize that this body which we have been given, it belongs to the Lord and it has been made a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to desecrate this temple. We don't want to defame this temple. We don't want to corrupt this temple. We want it to be a holy temple. We want it to be a dedicated temple. And so he he pleads with them and he says this. Don't give over to, to sin, to sexual sin, to impurity. Because you need to remember that your bodies have now been made the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body now is the temple of the Holy Spirit place where his spirit dwells he says therefore flee from sin he earlier said the same thing just want to get this because sometimes i miss this first corinthians chapter 3 in verse 16 he says do you not know that you are the temple of god and that the spirit of god dwells in you if anyone defiles the temple of god god will destroy him for the temple of god is holy which temple you are Hallelujah. God has made you now a temple where His Spirit dwells, where worship happens, where His glory is seen in your life. And you're to reflect this glory to others. This was the purpose of the temple, to to, to be a visible place where the glory of God was shown and it was to be a light, right? Speaks of it in the Old Testament. A light to the Gentiles. And now you are that. Christ in you. Right is a light unto the dark world and to the Gentiles. 
And now you're a, a portable temple going around being a light and showing people the glory of Jesus Christ in you. And so he's encouraging them to remember this. Remember who you have been made. 2 Corinthians in chapter 6. He says, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? That's why we've got to guard our hearts and fight against sin and beware of covetousness. Because that's going to fight against the singularity of our worship to God in being temples. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch that which is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God has made your body now a temple of the Holy Spirit and you've got to protect this temple and I've got to protect this temple. There's no agreement between false idols, idols and false gods with the true and living God and with the worship of the true and living God. And then I want to end with Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So why was the temple destroyed? Because it was the will of the Father and because Jesus Christ fulfilled everything that the temple was made for And now he has made his church the place where his glory dwells. And he has called you out to be a part of that. And now his Holy Spirit dwells in you and you are the temple of God. Oh, may we see the importance of this in our life. And may God help us to be a place where his glory shines brightly to the world.